listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Glitchy, meditative, noisy. Jared Sommerfeld is a composer and electronic musician residing in Potsdam, New York, where he is associate professor of electronic music, composition, and theory at the Crane School of Music. His sound world explores digital audio artifacts, noise, and analog synthesizers, utilizing these elements in composition and live improvisation. An avid user of RTC Mix, his book, Computer Music Composition with RTC Mix, is available for free from iBooks. Uh, good to see you again. Last, last, time yeah, was you at, uh, last time was at Barn Dance and Seamus before that. But uh, yeah, in, and you're in, going to Splice, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. going to. Are you? So you're going to be at Splice too? Yeah. Awesome. I'm super excited. Yeah. So we'll see each other in a couple of weeks, I guess. Yeah. I, th- this might actually come out after Splice. I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but we were at Splice, or we're going yeah. to Splice. <laughs> we were always at Splice. We were. <laughs> we're at Splice right now. We are at Splice. We're in Oxford, <laughs> hanging with Pear. <laughs> so. Uh, we're going to talk about three of your uh, three of your electronic works tonight, and um, the first one that I wanted to to start off with is called Colonel Panic from 2011. And uh, before we get into the work itself, uh, kind of explain what Colonel Panic is. Well, so when I was in grad school, I was studying, you know, with Mara Helmuth at Cincinnati, and she was the one that really sort of really solidified the, you know, heavy electronic music coding, you know, all the time kind of thing. And I started to get familiar with this idea of a kernel panic where like the entire system just shuts down, you know, and, um, you know, when you're learning, it happens. And so oftentimes my code would just make my computer, (laughs) you know, the beach ball and boom, nothing. And so, you know, it was a lot because a lot of it is inspired by glitch mm-hmm. and glitch techniques and stuff. And so I thought, well, that's got to be the title, Colonel yeah. Panic. You know? Yeah. I just like, what would that sound like inside when everything, the system just freaks out? And sort of the ending of that piece is a really big freak out moment um, that was really funny. But yeah, that's kind of where I thought to to put it together. Yeah. So So why did you kind of... Uh, get into using noise and and specifically like digital and unwanted you like like traditionally unwanted noise so gosh i don't know i think that's just a product of how fortunate i was to study with the people that i did um christopher burns was one of my first teachers in electronic music and you know his you know, his sound world is, you know, fat can be fast and chaotic and, you know, densely layered and noisy. And I was just getting really into that kind of mode of music making. And I was, you know, this, this sort of fresh out of undergrad, I thought Aaron Copeland was the greatest composer ever, you know, and suddenly I'm being confronted Mm -hmm. with like walls of noise and sound. And I was just really into, really into it. And as I learned more about electronic music, you know, we would do recording projects and things like that. You know, one of the early recording things, this was in a separate class, not one of Chris's classes, but like we would splice together audio mm-hmm. to make nonsensical sentences or whatever. And we would learn about 
cutting out those pops in between everything and either crossfading or fading in and out. And I was like, but those pops are cool. Like they sound really, <laughs> they're, they're like just this really visceral kind of short thing. And I was really, I, I really liked them. And so that was one thing. And then the more I started studying about digital audio and audio artifacts and stuff, I was like, you know, this, these would be really cool to exploit in some way. Not that what I was thinking about doing was novel by any means. Um, I was introduced to um, the music of Marcus Pop in, um, in Cincinnati. I remember really clearly a friend of mine um, uh, was like, hey, you ever heard of this band Oval? Or uh, some people call it Oval or Oval. And mm-hmm. I said, no. And he said, it's called glitch music. It's really great. I think you might like it. I'm like, all right. I don't know what glitch music is. And he played um, this track, Panorama. It's the first track from the album O. And oh my gosh, it was like this whole new sort of like sonic landscape opened up and it was just so like edgy and interesting. And, you know, it's like, I think anybody's musical moment where for some people, you know, brass is their thing. Yeah. You know, they, they really move by like, you know the end of pictures at an exhibition, the great gate of Kiev or something like for mm-hmm. me, it's like little speaker clicks and pops and Autecker and all these groups. And like, that's just what has been doing it for me for seems like a long time now. Cause all of a sudden <laughs> grad school was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like what's happening to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> the inevitable passage of time. I know it's crazy. So, uh, you, you said that in your notes, you're using like byproducts of aliasing quantiz- uh, quantization noise and clipping. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're kind of, like I said, you're kind of working with the sounds that most EA people try to avoid at all costs. But I, you know, I think it'd be kind of liberating to kind of like break sounds with kind of the purpose of collecting the debris so yeah go ahead well yeah it was but a a lot of it too was again like i i don't have a background in computer science at all and you know i struggled and still struggle to like wrap my head around the concepts and so i was the one in class that like my stuff just didn't work and you know i would do so like the end of that piece colonel panic Mm -hmm. is this sort of like raucous huge egregious awful sounding thing and that is literally the audio file that came out while i was trying to do linear predictive coding in rpc mix (laughs) so (laughs) i i was like i don't remember if mara gave us that as like an assignment or something but i read the documentation on on the lpc play instrument got a a file to to render and i was like okay cool i think i i followed all the steps boom that came out (laughs) And it was one of those like rip your headphones off kind of moments. But it was like wildly exciting. And I'm just sitting in the studio like that was crazy. And so, you know, I turned my volume way down and tried it again and again and again and kept getting these different results as I changed parameters in my score file. And I was like, I have to use this. And I remember she's just like, you know, we're in a lesson and she's just like, look, because it's it's pretty gnarly. And she's like 
Okay. <laughs> well, okay. If this not, is what you want to do, not exactly the directions, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that is funny. I mean, so did a lot of these sounds just kind of come from, you know, th- that kind of just happenstance? You know, uh, you were trying to do something else, and then this came out, or did, or did you like specifically go about? kind of collecting some of these sounds and, and, and if so what was that process like well I th- yeah I think so because eventually as I started to to understand how I could cultivate them then I would refine the process yeah. and try to make it happen so one I mean we all have our our techniques or whatever but um, this one again came through by a mistake but in um, in RTCMix so RTCMix is a uh, you know software that I'm really into and, and really enjoy using and one of the um, instruments in there or one of the commands is called make lfo and it just makes a low frequency oscillator that you can put a you know a low value and a high value in and then a frequency by which it oscillates and it'll go between the two values mm-hmm. which i was like oh this would be great for panning and that, well actually i think I, I think my friend dave mcdonald was the one who was like we should use this for panning and so i'm like yeah mm-hmm. cool so i had a loop going and i put my make lfo inside of the loop and because the loop was iterating over and over the the values from zero to one never got anywhere and they would just stop halfway and click (laughs) and i found that as i changed like the values i was iterating by i could control the rhythms of those clicks and so like i think everything i've written since like 2011 has that in there somewhere because it's like it's i know how to do it and you know i've saved countless audio files of just experimenting with making those sounds and you know, using them, you know, wherever I can in pieces that I'm working on. I'm, I'm particularly, so you, you talked about the, like the rhythmic clicks, but you, there, there's quite a bit of pitch in, uh, in this piece. And I'm wondering, is that Mm -hmm. just, is that just kind of running a sample faster and slower to get that pitch or, or is that created from some other process? I think a lot of the pitch material in that one before the section where the like the music box sounds come in is just total aliasing. So I figured out or like studied the equation for, you know, how to calculate those frequencies. And I was yeah. literally just sampling like I would I would put in a score file and be like, you know, frequency one equals fifty three thousand eight hundred and frequency two <laughs> equals, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. that like these crystalline kind of freak pitches would come out. So I don't think that there was any like determined it wouldn't have been like me to like have a determined pitch set or anything back then it was more like here's a range of random pitches pick from the lower end of the range or whatever like weighted random distributions i think i was really getting more into it seems like with this piece and you know the 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 others that we're going to hear tonight and you know what i know of you in uh, live performance situations, you know, working with modular synth and and Euro rack and and stuff like that. It seems like you are kind of most interested in the material of electronics as opposed to using electronics as a way of like capturing and processing acoustic sounds. Absolutely, and it's funny because I think another piece that that you'll hear is like the first time where I actually did some like go out and do field recording and sampling because it was always so exploratory with the systems itself and the sounds that you can make. And it was a, it was at a past barn dance where someone said to me, like, 
you know, you didn't sample anything in your piece, did you? I said, Mm -hmm. no. I said, that's really interesting because, you know, we're so, there's so many, I mean, this world is full of sounds and it's like, you can gather anything you want to. And they were sort of struck by the fact that like, I was shutting that out and like, well, let's see what my computer can make through just synthesis and, you know, glitch and all of that, which was really interesting. But yeah, and I think I'm just really fascinated by, you know, just the exploration of sound and and ways that you can sculpt it in time and that kind of thing, um, you know. But now I'm much, I'm much more like I'll I'll take my field, you know, recording stuff out and, you know, st- students will be like, I saw you out there with your. We have one of those shotgun blimp things with the big fuzzy cat, you know, cover on it, and I'll just be like <laughs> right. pointing it at right, the right. physical plant because like there was a cool knocking sound or something and. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, it's, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like when I was um when I was in China, um, you know, first of all, I'm a big goofy white guy that is towering over the majority of people over there. And second, I always had my recorder with me. So, oh, you cool. know, we would be uh, you know, we'd be at like the 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 summer palace in in beijing or something and like i'm walking around with my zoom you know and (laughs) headphones on and i'm just getting the weirdest looks from everyone like probably doubly so because like i still i'm kind of out of place first of all and then secondly like am i spying on people like what's going (laughs) on you know everyone's always like what are you doing with that thing but it's so weird because no one ever bats an eye if you have a video recorder. Oh, sure. Right. You know, I didn't think about that. Everyone, everyone is like so suspicious of like sound recording, but hmm. video, which is way more intrusive. Yeah, right. Is right. Uh, is somehow like uh, just like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're they're making a, short, mm-hmm. a student film or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we do a we do a regular assignment in the uh, the intro to electronic music class where um, it's really fun. We're, we're we're talking about Cage and Williams mix, and then I took a map of our campus mm-hmm. and overlaid an I Ching transparency green sheet on it that's cool yeah and then i and then we talked about cage's technique and we we tossed coins to get our hexagrams and we would go out for class to those locations and gather recordings and then the assignment is we make our our own mix so they give me all of their sounds and i put them together using I Ching stuff and then we listen to our mix it's really fun but i remember there was a student driving by and i i got put by like this dorm and there was this generator outside and I'm just standing there like all purposefully with my headphones on and my mic. And she, she's like, she wasn't in the class. She's like, she was in my theory class. She's like, I had no idea what you were doing out there. Like, were you working for the maintenance crew? Were you just like, you know? Yes. Those are also part of my professor responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have to go, I have to go take the, uh, the audio temperature of the mechanical Uh plant. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's funny. That's awesome. I mean, as I was listening to this piece, a weird thing kind of happened to me. Um, This is going to, it's going to sound stupid, but it really felt like the sounds, and I'm talking about like within the first minute of the piece, it really felt like the sounds were inside of my head, but very sp- 
specifically located. It was like in the center of my physical head, like not in my brain, but in the center of my head, like below my ears. It was a really odd sensation. Cool. It, it almost felt like the sounds were moving down into my neck. And, oh, wow. yeah. and I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I was listening with headphones, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened if, you know, I was listening on speakers or whatever. But it, it was something about the frequencies and the panning. It just felt like these sounds were inside of me. Yeah. And I remember, I think I was trying to get into like binaural audio then and was using, it was like Tom Herb's sound hack plugins to try to do some kind of, you know, binaural stuff. And I don't think I achieved it necessarily, but I do remember thinking that as I was sculpting that together, there was something pretty visceral about what the timbres that I was using or something that really did sort of like, yeah, you're right. Like I think about it, like get in there. Mm -hmm. And it was a really intense listening experience that I was enjoying doing. And so I think, I mean, looking back on that one now, I, I think it's a little slow paced maybe, but at the time I think I was just having such a blast you know, listening to the these little tiny little sounds go by, you mm -hmm. know, and m zoom them around my head, you know, in a really interesting way that I just sort of let it be exploratory and sort of evolve very slowly over time. Is that how you uh, is that how you write a lot? You you know, you just kind of start out with uh, either collection or experimentation and just kind of see where things go. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean. Um, I am I am constantly recording everything that I do. Mm -hmm. So anytime like I've been getting really into modular synthesizers, like you said, mm -hmm. for the last couple of years. And so every office hour, every practice session, every writing session is like I just go and hit record and start doing because I never know or you never know really what's going to be interesting to use in a piece later. And so a lot of like lately, just my electronic stuff is is like called from this is some improvisation I did four years ago or this is from today or I know I need to bridge the gap between A and B so let me go and patch something together today to do it so it's like mm -hmm. I'm having this collaboration with myself over years yeah you know, uh, which is really fun and it's almost like just audio scrapbooking in a way because I like have all of this material now of just improvisations that I can use. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's because you're kind of, like I said, you're kind of working with the materials of electronics, you know, um, patching those things together and making kind of coherent sound worlds might, might be, uh, you know, might be a little bit uh, easier or not easier, but it's like, the they all the the majority of the sounds share that thing in common where they were produced electronically as opposed to you know i have a huge um you know library of recorded sounds and i go back and i'm like well those those sounds are from china and you know they they were on this using this microphone so they don't sound that great and you know and and these i took these at you know like one time when i went to the zoo and it's like you know, I, I can't like I can't bridge that gap, I, I think, as easily. But uh, but yeah, that, you know, this has been something that I've been thinking about for a while because I've been getting really into no input mixing. Um, oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I very much like you. It's like 
<clears throat> whenever I whenever I bring it out, I hit record because like you say, you never know what's going to be interesting, but also you never know what you're never going to be able to get back. You mm -hmm. know, like yeah, right. what were those magic settings that produced that one thing that is so interesting? So it's like, you know, having that uh, having that constant uh, recording, I think, is really valuable. And uh, ob obviously, you've, you know, you've made a lot of use of from that. So uh, let's listen to this piece now. This uh, this is a fixed media piece. Uh, the title is Colonel Panic.
So uh, we'll move a little bit uh, closer to the present and uh, listen and talk about a piece from 2016. And this is your piece, Strong Back, Soft Front. So tell me about this piece. Where did this title come from and what does it mean? I think that, honestly, this is like if I had a one track or whatever. Yeah. This would be... I, I lo- it's it's not easy to say that we love our own stuff, but like there's something so personal and interesting about this one that I really I had such a good time doing it. And so strong back soft front. Backtrack to like 2011. I'm fresh out of grad school, trying to to work. I was really fortunate and got a job at Miami University, mm-hmm. uh, adjunct teaching theory and some the the lab sections for an electronic music class and so my wife christy and i were like well let's you know we were living in cincinnati like let's move up to oxford and she got a job as one of the music librarians and it was like this really cool we were you know done with school we were sort of starting our little professional life together and we're like you know oxford's beautiful Mm -hmm. and there's just so much to do there and i said i'm gonna start running like just one day I'm going to start running. And so when you run, you listen to podcasts or music or whatever. And I started listening to this podcast, Audio Dharma. And it was like these teachings and, you know, guided meditations. And one of the episodes was called Strong Back, Soft Front. And I'm like, okay, whatever, download, put on my running shoes, mm-hmm. start going. And it's a teaching um, that was originally done by Joan Halifax but given in this podcast by Frank Ostaseski, and he's heavily sampled in the piece, mm-hmm. right? And there was something about his voice and the message and something that I was just, maybe it's like we were starting new in a new place or something, but I was just like, I, I must have re-listened to that out on my runs, because it's a half hour, it's a good, you know, a half hour is a good run. Yeah. Just countless times, countless times. And I sat on it for a long time and I would always listen to it if I was like, you know, feeling down or something. And then one day I'm like, well, dude, just write something based on it. <laughs> you know, like, when are you going to actually just like do something meaningful with this? And so I thought, yeah, I should, I should totally do something meaningful with it. And, you know, started writing, you know, the piece from there, really. Now, is it connected, um, you know, the in the middle of the piece or, yeah, in the middle of the piece, you kind of almost detail the, 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 uh, the guided meditation that he's giving mm-hmm. in that podcast. And I'm wondering, is that, you know, is, is meditation kind of part of your own practice? Yeah, I'm, you know, I think we're learning a lot about just how we're wired as humans anyway in this day and age. And I've always suffered for some, from some pretty profound anxiety, like a mm-hmm. lot of people. And I think it's really liberating to be able to talk about it more openly. Whereas a while ago, you'd want to kind of keep it in. Right, but I yeah. found that, and I discovered, I discovered meditation um, in high school. We read actually one of our assigned readings was a, was called Pieces Every Step by Te Nhat Hanh. And I was really like, whoa, this is amazing. And all through college was really studying meditation and, and Buddhism and, and that. And it's really, it's, it's been profoundly helpful for me. And so, yeah, the meditation is 
at least as in as this piece goes, was you know like how can I sort of put into sound or writing or music, you know, the stuff that goes on in my mind when I'm trying to to like okay yeah center and calm down because you know he starts you know by saying you know you know he he starts off the meditation there's all these other sounds going on they're very busy and it's just like you just can't quite get into it but then once he says like let's get into the silent practice then i was like that would be a great moment like as far as the form goes to just take turn everything off and start to really focus on internal sounds like heartbeats and breathing and and those kinds of things. And then like sort of take his voice and recede it to the background almost as if like, you know, when you are deep into a meditation and the outside world, you know, the sounds are heightened, but like, it's just, things are quieter mm-hmm. and calmer, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- as I, as I kind of listened to the beginning of this piece, the first time I was like, well, wait, isn't this, you know, isn't this kind of about, uh, a, a meditative practice and like everything's going crazy and I'm like this, <laughs> yeah this this isn't really connecting with the you know with right. what he's saying and then all of a sudden like whoosh, mm-hmm. everything goes away and I'm like oh yeah that yeah. makes a ton of sense now because every time um I've been uh you know I I use meditation especially um you know when I'm going into when I'm going into compose because mm-hmm. I started doing this in China because, um, y- you know, I think the last year that I was over there, uh, it was a difficult time in, in a number of, in a number of ways. And, um, I just got to, you know, I would go into my office and it's like, okay, this is my composing time. And I would, you know, the mind would be running a mile a minute and it's like emails are coming in. You got to respond to this mm-hmm. and you got to do this. And it's just so many different things. And I, I would find myself at night at home just kind of pacing around mm-hmm. our apartment. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, would I, I wouldn't even sit down for dinner. I would just like just be constantly pacing because so many things are kind of going on and running through the brain. And that that kind of, you know, that really manic state um it really got to me so i i you know kind of connected with a former professor who i had i had kind of seen once um it, we were at icmc in denton mm-hmm. in 2015 and uh you know the the concert we were going to my former professor and i it was you know about to start in probably 20 minutes or something and i just happened to go into the hall and he's sitting in there by himself and just you know sitting breathing eyes closed and uh and i always remembered that and i asked him about it like later in in that icmc and he was just like you know we we're going to so many concerts and we're hearing mm-hmm. so much music and i just i just feel like i need to kind of you know prepare myself oh yeah yeah for that and so like having that memory i kind of reached back out to him in this in this you know my fourth year living in china which was also the year that you know trump got elected and Mm. a number of other horrible things happened (laughs) Um, so so it wasn't surprising to me that i had said had you know i was so anxious at that point and uh and he just you know he suggested like yeah here here are a couple of resources here's how you can do it and i remember the first time it really didn't go well at all mm-hmm. you know but the second time like i 
I really got to a place where everything just seemed to be lighter. Mm -hmm. Everything seemed to, you know, it was almost as if kind of gravity didn't have the same weight on, on me as it had before. And it's just, it's been really, I have found it's been just a really useful thing to be able to center yourself before you're going to start doing creative work and i know like a lot mm-hmm. of people just it's a daily practice for for them i um you know I, I i don't feel like i've i've had the desire to make it a mm-hmm. daily practice but it has really affected the way that i look at you know composing time yeah um so yeah, and and that first, you know, those first minutes where it's like a lot of sound that that's uh that's happening, as soon as it clicked in like, oh, he's representing meditation right now, it was like, yeah, that's exactly what it's mm-hmm. like. You know, the first yeah. 5, 10, even, you know, however however long it takes, it's just like those thoughts, those sounds, the the everything that's it's it's like you finally have the goal of trying to be quiet and your brain's like no 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 no. Remember that deadline that you have? Right. Yeah. Remember that email that that yeah. you said you wouldn't look at? Remember this? Remember that? Remember this? Remember that? And there is, you know, now that I think about it, there is something sort of you know, the piece wasn't going to start as the guided meditation, I was actually getting really into this painter, Roman Opalka, mm-hmm. who um, in his, you know, his, his master, like life's work was to just paint numbers. So one day he went up to his canvas and just started painting zero, one, two, three, four, and would just do that eight hours a day. And he has this whole like life's work of, I can't remember what number he got up to. I'd have to go to Wikipedia to look at it, but it's astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I should do like a process piece based on like Opalka, you know, real careful, gentle thing that over. So like, anyway, in, in this piece, strong backs off front, there's moments where you can hear like this really low voice guttural kind of thing coming in and out. That's actually Opalka counting. Um, oh, okay. Cause I was just like, I, I should use that. But then I was also like, oh, I should use this and I should use this. And it became this like, you know, weird world of just like anything and everything um but that's and we were talking about sampling before like this was the first piece where i was like okay you know let's actually just go use some sounds and Mm -hmm. and find things whether you're sampling them you know like a fixed media file you found somewhere else or going out and recording um one of the so before the the like everything calms down and gets quiet there's this huge, big outburst of stuff. Yeah. And you can kind of hear like some singing, you know, and that was my sight singing class from my second year here. Uh, we, I am a self-professed like Bach dork. Yeah. And so anyone who's ever had theory with me, we sing a heavy dose of chorales because they're sure. just, they're, I love them. They're beautiful. Um, I actually had a colleague, uh, she, she retired, but she was, her office was next door to my classroom and she came over one, this was well into the spring semester when she's like, you know what I love about your class? It always sounds like a Lutheran church service is going on because <laughs> we sing so much. Well, anyway, so one day, you know, we're in class and they're singing and I, and 
I had a, a group of really strong singers and, and, you know, students who were just super confident and really went for it. I said, I'm sorry, I got to record this, you know, like took them into the studio, you know, for class one day. They <laughs> thought it was so cool. And we did a recording session. And so I took that and, and like the, when it starts to sound real, like choral, I, it's hard to, I don't remember the timestamps and when this comes Sure, yeah. But um, I took that and I doubled it. So I, I panned one hard to one side, hard to the other side. I did the aforementioned make LFO inside of the thing and I got the clicky sounds going. Then like pitch shifted it down to match whatever and added, I don't know, way too much reverb or whatever. And it became this like huge big thing. And I was like, oh, I love it. And it's so dorky. It's so dorky. But there's this moment where, gosh, this even sounds dorky to say out loud. He gets to this pre predominant chord <laughs> right but i don't know there was just like it comes to that moment it's like this this huge really and i just love that moment mm-hmm. you know um but then i should also say there's a little easter egg uh within within that as well where um this is where stuff started to get like the recording started to get really personal but there's if you if, if you listen carefully you'll hear like a kind of real tinny high fast like sound mm-hmm. and then you'll hear this voice pan from one side to the other saying it's perfect 140s you got to really listen for it okay that was the first time i heard my son foster's heartbeat we were doing oh, the, man. the the first visit you know yeah, and they had yeah, that yeah. really fun microphone with the gel you know yeah. and i i'm like I didn't have anything on me to record or whatever, but I was just like, wait, doc, can, can I sample? <laughs> He's yeah. like, of course you can sample that. So that was a really cool thing to add into it um, as well, which I found with sampling. It's so fun to do. Like you can add anything you want to mm-hmm. into, into a texture, or into a piece. It's really fun. Well, and the other thing is, is like these pieces, you know, you, you kind of said this with the first piece, how like it has, it has become kind of audio scrapbooking. Yeah. But when you when you are like out in your life and recording things, you know, that kind of that piece has the ability to kind of take you back to those moments. And it becomes like you say, it becomes very personal for you. I mean, I I certainly have one of those pieces where, mm-hmm. you know, I have recordings of my my oldest daughter when she was when she was really young and Mm -hmm. and you know it it really snaps you right back into that moment and that's uh yeah that's that's uh, that's awesome so Mm -hmm. uh let's let's listen to it now uh from 2016 this is strong back soft front i was teaching just not long ago with my good friend uh, joan halifax runs a place called the Upaya Center in New Mexico. And we were teaching um, about compassionate care of the dying. And um, she offered a very beautiful instruction that I want to share with you.
to meet the difficulty of our life and also sometimes to meet the expansiveness of our life, um, it seems we need two things. Um, first, we need a strong back. It's not easy, really, to be in this world. And so we need a, we need a strong back. We need a capacity to stay present for what is difficult and to stay present for that which is difficult with equanimity. But um, that won't be enough, that strength. We also need a soft front. Strong back, soft front. Receptive and responsive, compassionate, loving, yeah. And we usually have it the other way around. We have a very protective shell around our chests and hearts, trying to keep the difficulty of the world out, and we sometimes collapse in our backs. take our time. So I'll just guide you for the first few minutes and then we'll come into the silent practice. All right? So however you're accustomed to sitting with your eyes open or closed. And just very gradually, very gradually coming into the body. You can hear the sound of my voice. You don't have to work hard at that. And as you attend to that sense door, the sense of listening, hear the other sounds in the room. Maybe the sounds outside the building. And they're just coming up, aren't they? And showing themselves and changing or fading away.
Tending a little more subtly, you begin to sense the experiences that seem internal to the body. check briefly to see what's the quality of your mind and heart right now. The last piece we're going to talk about is uh, the very next year from 2017, They Weep Here. And uh, I kind of read the program notes uh, about this. So, you know, tell us about this piece, where the idea for it came from. This one was really intense and was the first time that you know i really felt i, I so you had said before you know when trump got elected mm-hmm. you know and things just seemed to get they were harder like you know yeah. there was just a, a collective kind of you know and i think that stress for for many of us not all of us but for many of us like that just continued to weigh down on us and you know, it's a, you know, having a child is like a really raw emotional time. And so Foster was about little under a year old and still in the like, you know, you have to get up eight times a night <laughs> and put him back to sleep and all of that. And around this time, you know, the conflict in Syria had really heightened mm-hmm. to a, to a fever pitch. And there was, you know, some targeted strikes in Aleppo. And I was just transfixed to the news, especially when I would see these images of these kids who were being pulled out of buildings or, you know, the one that really hit home hard was this, they they take this, can't remember his name. um, They take him out of this rubble and they put him in an ambulance and he's sitting there alone, you know, 
and he's bleeding like profusely. Mm-hmm. And this kid, you know, he was old, a little older than Foster, but not not that much. But like he reaches his hand up to wipe it to to like see what's up on his on his forehead, and he looks at his hand, and he's got this like surprised expression for a second, and then he just sort of like starts trying to wipe it off on the seat. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, new parent, I lost it. I was like, I can't. And mm-hmm. this is just getting too, I can't look at this suffering anymore without, you know, do, trying to do something about it. So I started like, you know, getting really involved with like donating money to the International Rescue Committee and things like that. And I'm like, but there's, it's still, it's just still not, going away and so i had to do something about it and the most profound moment i remember after all this was foster was up one of those eight times a night things <laughs> and i'm i'm by his crib and we have this like exercise ball and i used to hold him and he wanted to be bounced up and down yep and clarkson university across town was just starting their spring semester i think and we're doing fireworks right <laughs> And so this like boom, 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 fireworks going off. And it scared him. Yeah. You know, and he was crying. And I remember thinking, it's like pitch black. I'm just like, you know, how lucky am I that I'm just a dad trying to rock his son to sleep? And those sounds out there aren't like shelling that could Mm -hmm. literally kill us at any instant, you know? And I just felt such intense, you know, pain for the for for the people who are who are working through this or like you know, or the refugees trying to flee all of this and aren't seemingly aren't welcome everywhere. You know, it's like, I can't imagine what that's like as a parent or a person or anything to have to deal with that. So I was like, I have to write some music about this. And, and it, it, and this is what, you know, what came of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had the same, uh, you know, that same, evolution i guess you know and it's not an evolution because pretty much you know when you see your your child for the first time a lot of things just kind of snap into place and i i I remember that very very uh viscerally um you know you start to see the world differently like the Mm -hmm. new the news becomes so much more horrific i mean it got it got so bad at, at different times that i really had to stop looking at the news mm-hmm. because right. I was oh, I was yeah. just becoming so affected by you know stories of children and parents in distress. I mean, I remember, you know, one of the um uh, one of the police shootings, you know, mm-hmm. that that w- it seemed like, you know, there was a new one every couple of days. Right. You know, some some unarmed black man being shot by the police in somewhere, you know. And I remember, I remember looking at one, and you know, it was obviously one of the one of the ones where the the man was killed, and it was like right in front of his children. Oh my god! And I just that was that oh. was kind of the last one for me where I was like, sure. I can't I can't look anymore. I mean, this is yeah. this is like, you know, that obviously that was, you know, horrific and life altering and devastating for those people and and you know you know while you're looking at this you're kind of also putting yourself in that situation like you like you said you know like how lucky am i that this isn't shelling but it's just fireworks down the road Mm -hmm. you know and it's yeah uh yeah it's uh 
become becoming apparent like even stuff like movies you know you see them in a new way and you can't like you can't take it anymore and it's 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 a real thing you know it is yeah Yeah. and i think you know like trying to you said you you have to turn away from or or you have to turn it off you don't turn it off but you turn it off for a little while um i remember there was another shortly thereafter there was a you know um a lot of people were fleeing the area mm-hmm. and I don't remember if you saw this, but they, there was a picture that um, there was a little boy who drowned mm. and you just see him. He's in this like red t-shirt. Oh yeah. I remember and he's this. Just, yeah. He's just like laying there. I looked at that image just like for so long. Cause that looked like Foster sleeping, you mm. know? And it, Oh, that hurt. And that's when I was like, I have to turn this off for a little bit. And it didn't come back for me until, you know, the border crisis here where I I saw a picture of, you know, a father and his daughter, I think, who had drowned trying to cross. And she was sort of like clutching onto him, you know, and it's, oh, those those moments like they're just, yeah, like you you just feel so intensely. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to, to put into words just how how awful it is and mm-hmm. you it's unimaginable suffering yeah unimaginable so so this piece um uses uh text from uh virgil's aeneid and um i'm wondering you know how did you kind of make the connection with that historical text with these more current events were you kind of reading it at the time or is it just kind of something that you just kind of have in your I... in your memory or it's probably the latter. I wasn't reading it at the time. And honestly, now that you <laughs> you bring up, I have no idea where I came across that. It had to have been, it had, like all things now in life, had to have started with a Google search. Sure. And then probably found like a Google book result. But I do remember going to our library here on campus and getting as many translations as I could of it mm-hmm. and looking for the, that particular passage um, and and using it. But yeah, the origins of it, that's one that has just been lost now to time. I don't remember. <laughs> so you you you're using uh, translation. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the English translation, and uh, I just want to read some of the some of the text that goes into the piece. Uh, what land is left? What tract on earth that is not full of our agony? Here, mortal estate touches the soul of tears, and then. Another quote, there are tears to flow and human hearts to feel for human woe. The world is a world of tears and the burdens of mortality touch the heart. And then this one is, you know, where the where the title comes from, They Weep Here. Uh, what spot on earth, what region of earth is not full of the story of our sorrow? They weep here for how the world goes and our life that pass, that passes touches their hearts. I mean, obviously it, you know, with something like this and it it clearly has that has that thing where you know this has been going on forever you know human human life is also human death and human existence is also human suffering and that's i mean obviously that's horrific to think about that that's just the reality of the situation that in no time has this ever been any any different and in no time has it been, has it ever been any less awful? And I, and I'm, yeah, and I'm, 
I find myself sometimes like when I go pick up Foster from daycare, like I'm, 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 I'm actually, I'm jealous of the kids who are just like the biggest thing in their day is who they played with Mm -hmm. or, you know, that lunch was awesome or something like that, you know, where it's like, like they're like, I don't want, I, I, we lose that innocence at some point and we become more aware of just how wonderful yet also how awful this world can be, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, yeah, part of, part of aging or, or it's important to be aware of it, but yeah, it sometimes it does get overwhelming. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. How are you making the electronic sounds in this piece? I mean, a lot, a lot of them, despite being, I'm assuming electronically produced. I mean, some are like incredibly organic. I do think that a lot of the sounds in this one, nearly all of them, except for maybe a couple were modular synth improvisations that were, like I said before, were just sort of culled together and sculpted in time. You know, there's a really big sort of outburst kind of in this one as well that, that I remember was a pretty, exciting improvisation that i did i was like i got to use this for like a climactic point mm-hmm. in a piece sometime uh but yeah i think that's where a lot of it came from was just sculpting sounds using the synth and keeping track of it and you've kind of you know you you've really developed that uh like you said you you've been kind of working on this for the last couple of years but it seems like that that's become a huge part of your practice, it, not only in creating, you know, fixed pieces, but also doing live performances and and stuff like that. Like, how did you kind of get into the whole modular synth scene? Because as we've talked about, it's like it's a really expensive habit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's so expensive. Um, it's a really, you know, it's a really funny story about the modular synth stuff. So yeah, like the last three years, I've been almost exclusively just making music on synthesizers and it got a backtrack again back to Cincinnati and um I had mentioned him before my friend Dave McDonald mm-hmm. uh he and my other really good friend Paul Schuette were hanging out at a New Year's party and it was at Dave's house and Dave said his friend uh his friends uh were there and it was uh Tony and Kelly and Tony has this suitcase full of weird like synthesizer stuff and i'm like okay that sounds cool and so met him and you know he he showed us his you know case full of stuff and it turns out later on i didn't realize but this was tony rolando of make noise Mm -hmm. my my friend dave's really good friend and i'm like oh my gosh i just hung out with like after i got into this i was like make noise is a really big deal in this world and like i had a little like New Year's party with Tony Rolando where he's showing me like prototype stuff. And it was really funny. And I actually had to mention that to him at Nam a couple years later. I was like, dude, do you remember when we met? And you're just kind of showing me stuff. I was like, yeah. I was like, I think that's really cool. And I started, I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna sort of get into it myself. And I and so I I I met Tony again at the at the NAM show, like I said, and he was showing off some stuff. And I talked to my wife after and I was like, God, this, all this synthesizer stuff is really cool, but it's really expensive, mm-hmm. you know? And she, you know, she's amazing. She's, she's like, you know, the thing about you is that you've always been so frugal with like, Oh, I'm going to make all my sounds on the computer. 
and I'm going to use freeware mm-hmm. and give back to the open source community and I can try to make all this stuff. She's like, but it's okay for you to let yourself explore <laughs> gear, you know? And I'm like, that's really cool. Like that was really awesome. And so, yeah, I got the green light. And then I didn't realize that as what usually happens with most people who get into modular sense, you just can't stop buying stuff for a while. <laughs> and so <laughs> then I'm sort of like having this conversation with myself, like trying to justify it, you know, like, like how did I suddenly get all of this gear, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it, it costs a lot, but then again, maybe this is just me sort of like telling myself it's okay. Like my colleagues who teach tuba or bassoon or saxophone you know yeah they're spending unbelievable amounts of money on their instruments mm-hmm. so i'm like okay i can have a little something if it helps me feel creative and helps me you know stay excited about you know all of this so i'm i'm just you know i might not get i might not be into it in 10 years i might be right back to like just coding and stuff again but for right now i'm just really enjoying doing it because it does give me you know, a chance to play live in a way that exactly, I think yeah. that I, I hadn't had been able to for a while because, you know, we had talked about anxiety mm-hmm. uh, earlier on. And when I was an undergraduate, um, I was sort of dead set on being the next great, like orchestral trumpet player, you know, and was practicing unbelievable, you know, hours, you know, just like doing that. But I never enjoyed the performing because I was always so anxious about it. And it just never felt natural or whatever. But now I love performing live. It's so fun. And I, I realize I'm like, I'm actually in the element that I was supposed to be in. Like this electronic music world was like just something that I, I feel like I was supposed to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm on an instrument that I'm not, there's a lot of technical facility to it, of course, but I don't feel like I'm fighting it as i did with like the trumpet or something yeah and i can just be fluid with it and i'm just like having a really good time doing it you know and so it's really funny um a friend of mine texted like a couple hours ago before and before i came here and he said oh i got an opening if you want to do a solo set for two hours on friday night backtrack to me like as an undergrad i'd be freaking right yeah (laughs) I'd go right back to the practice room and I'd be like, okay, I got to get ready for woodshed, this. You know? Woodshed, woodshed, woodshed. Exactly, woodshed, right. But now I'm just like, okay, cool, let's do it. Yeah. You know, let's just show up and play and have fun and I'm, I'm just really loving it. That's awesome. Well, let's listen to this last piece. Uh, this is from 2017 and it's titled They Weep Here. spot on earth 
hand is left. What tract on earth that is not full of our story of our They weep here. Here for how the world goes. Mortal estate. Touches the soul to tears. There are tears to flow. And human hearts to feel.
What spot on earth, what region of the earth is not full of the story, story of, our of our sorrow? They weep here, they weep here for how the world goes and our life that passes touches their hearts. They weep here. I, I I didn't think about this part of this piece. Um, the the narrator in it mm-hmm. is a former student, uh, Francesca Hilditch, who is a uh, she was a comp major here, and um, I think she's finishing her master's now um, at the Royal Academy. And I remember, like, I, I didn't know that I wanted to read the poem. I think I might have tried a couple mm-hmm. versions in the studio of myself, and it just sounded clunky and weird. And I was like, "Hey, Francesca, do you want to do you want to you know record this poem for me?" And she's she looked at the words. She's like, "Yeah, this is this is great. Let's do it." And so we're in the studio and we're recording it, and we we're taking take after take, and it's just not quite sounding right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not, it doesn't, it didn't have the like the weighty emotional kind of thing mm-hmm. that we, we were getting there. You know, we were like, oh, read it slow or whatever. She looks at me and she says, do you want me to cry while I'm reading it? <laughs> and I'm like, no. In my head, I'm like, that would be awesome. Right. Like, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> but I'm like, no, no, no. No, I'm not going to make and, you do that. But yeah, so she, it was great. She's, she just, she's, she's like, why don't you go to your office? Give me 10 minutes. And she did the take. And that's one of the, my, it's the, like, it, it's so perfect for the piece. Mm-hmm. It's her voice is while it, while it cracks and is like, it's just so, it was like absolutely perfect. I couldn't thank her enough for that. It was so cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, finding those, because I, I've, I've definitely done, you know, quite a few pieces that use, either recorded or live speaking as mm-hmm. as a as a portion of them and it's just so important to find that voice you know it to is, find yeah. that person not only that has the voice but can deliver it you mm-hmm. know that that has that that can go to that place where the emotion is on the you know on the edge you know not not overwrought or anything mm-hmm. but uh but just just there enough that that subtlety that's that's hard yeah. that's really hard to come by. Yeah, I got lucky. I mean, I just got it. Just seemed to all fall into place. Yeah, you know. But but yeah, that piece is a really really intensely personal one. Yeah. Well, we've come to the the last question that I always ask all the uh, the composers and artists that are on the podcast. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to you know pursue for your life? I don't remember exactly why I wanted to or, or what caused me to start being musical. I remember my my parents got me like an acoustic guitar when I was little that I probably didn't do really anything with. Um, <laughs> but I, I do remember that in in high school, all I wanted to do was music. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know. I guess it sounds like now that I'm self-reflecting, it's like I go through all these phases. Cause like in high school, I wanted to be the next Chad Smith, like drummer of red hot chili. Right. That was it. Like I was just practicing drums all the time. Then I wanted to be the next Adolf Herseth, like trumpet player or whatever. Um, But I just knew that, you know, 
I always wanted to do something musical. And then when it came time to, you know, do college and what are you going to do in college? You know, I, I, I just, I want to do this and see how far I can take it. Mm-hmm. And I think I've just always sort of been on this really intense path to see how far I can explore my own musicality and to see what comes of it till the end. You know what I mean? And hopefully not feel like I've wasted a moment of like self-exploration or or trying something or whatever, because living a life in music is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the best. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sometimes, I tell my students this sometimes, like I can't believe that someone gives me money to come here (laughs) and talk to them really cool young people who are just as excited and and hungry for getting better about music all day. And it's, if it, if it's not singing Bach chorales or talking about John Cage or patching up a, a a modular synth, it's like, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. What a life. Someone, someone gives you money to, to, right. To, (laughs) to, to make, the unwanted digital noise and make art from it. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, before we go, can you tell people, you know, where can they find uh, more of your music? Um, and then if they, uh, you know, want to connect with you, like on social media or something, where can where they can do that? The Yeah, I've, I've been you know, trying to keep up with, you know, my website. So jaredsummerfeld.com will point you to everything, including um, my Bandcamp page where I've been trying to release more music Mm -hmm. um, because I love that community too. And then I'm probably most active on Instagram, just Jared Summerfeld. Me me too. Um, Instagram's the the place to be, I think. It is. It's Yeah. It just seems like, you know, it's it's a great space for just meeting other musicians and artists, and mm-hmm. so that's that's primarily where I'm, you know, posting things these days. Awesome, great, thanks for doing this, Jared. Thanks so much. This is so cool. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website www.adjectivenewmusic.com.